Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we are joined by a friend of community, author and pastor Hugh Halter. As we begin our series, Profiles and Courage. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning. Good morning, fellow Illinoisans. Is that what we're called? I now live here. I don't know if you remember. It's not worth clapping for. I live down, I live down the south end of town called Alton, Illinois, just outside of St. Louis. So uh, I am one of you now, so it means a lot of things. But one of the things it means is I cannot make fun of your weather anymore because your weather is my weather. Now, we moved about three months ago. And uh, June quickly approached, I think it was probably a little bit worse down where we were, but it was, you know, we hit the mid-90s with all that, I think you call it humidity, we didn't have any of that in Denver on our four-acre horse ranch overlooking the mountains. We, uh, we got hit with it hard and um, weird stuff, like uh, I haven't slept in my own bed yet next to my wife because it's too hot up there. And she came down the other day. She's like, so what's your name? And I'm like, don't worry, babe. I will, I will rejoin you in October, I'm sure. <laughs> my Labrador retriever, who has never, even as a puppy, never wet on my floor, has started leaving puddles in the morning. And it's because I can't get her to go outside and go to the bathroom. Like, I, I, I took her out about midnight thinking, let it cool down a little bit. Went out, opened the door, and her little lab face went like this. And then she just looked up at me as if to say, what the what? Why did we move here? Like, I can't, I have to pick her up as a Labrador and carry her outside and go, please go. She doesn't. She just waits till I fall asleep with her on the couch and then goes right next to me. So I step in there in the morning. So that, anyway, that's, I'm loving Illinois. Love it. I love your corruption. My, it's my corruption now, right? It's all awesome. Well... It's good to be here. Uh, I, I'm a little sad, although I love everybody doing worship this morning. Lucas and Evelyn, I wanted to give them a big hug because they were uh, a bit of a help to me a few weeks ago in my own house, a little bit more serious story. Uh, my youngest daughter, McKenna, who just turned 21, has been in a pretty serious dating relationship with a young African-American kid named Jesse. Probably will go the distance, and they've been up at a Christian college uh, in Iowa and I've taken quite a few racial hits just because of the, you know, dating relationship and their skin color. And so it's, it's been hard for McKenna to process a lot of the stuff that's been going on the last couple, you know, really the last year, especially the last six months in the country. And she came down the other morning and um, looked like she was on the verge of tears, which she never is. She's super tough. And her big, beautiful blue eyes were welling up. And I was like, babe, everything okay? And she just lost it. And uh, I thought it was maybe, you know, maybe her and Jesse were breaking up or something, but she just goes, dad, I just don't get the world right now. I think it was the night after the Dallas policemen were killed. Um, but although I can't remember because there's so much happening, but I think it just all came down on her. She's going into social work and wants to work in St. Louis. My oldest daughter who moved with us just got her first teaching a job in the Ferguson School District. So, I mean, we, we moved to Alton because of a sense of calling uh, back to this type of stuff in our way of life that we started. Our first church plant was in Portland, Oregon. 
kind of in the hood. So that's what we grew up in. But we've been off in Denver kind of chilling out. And, uh, you know, but on this day, you know, I felt like, you know, what do I, what do I tell my daughter to keep her in the game? She just looked like she was giving up or at least had lost a lot of wind. And I kind of went into coach mode. I wish I hadn't. Dad, sometimes, you know, you just don't need to be a coach. Sometimes you just do that other thing, that sensitive thing. But I, I brought up some scripture about how the kingdom of heaven is taken by force and forceful men and women lay hold of it. I thought I'd kind of give her a, you know, come on, let's, no matter what's happened, let's get in there, keep fighting. And, and uh, I said, uh, that didn't help, did it? She's like, no. And uh, so she went back up to her bedroom and I hopped down at our dining room table and I just opened up my laptop and started to surf around on Facebook. And, and Lucas and Evelyn had posted a song, um, Come Lord Jesus. I know you guys have sung it. And I just, you know, I just kind of watched it and uh, like it helped. Like not trying to figure out the world or figure out how to encourage my daughter, but just the idea of focusing and worshiping God and taking a moment to let my faith come back up. And I, I just felt like just, I kind of listened to it about 10 times, <laughs> just an hour, just playing it over and over. I felt like my courage was coming back. My strength was coming back. And then I finally walked up and let McKenna listen to it. And she goes, that helps. You know, this morning we're going to talk about profiles and courage. I want you to consider this question on the screen right now. If you were sure that you would not fail at some aspect of God's mission, what might you finally jump into? Maybe some things have been on your heart for years. Um, and my guess is all of us have had times where we feel like God is saying, hey, I'd like you to do this, but somehow fear something gets in the way or just life and it just doesn't happen. And so God has to keep reminding, well, we're going to kind of dive into that this morning and really look at, um, you know, I guess where, where courage starts. It's a great story of Caleb and Joshua and Moses, really. Um, and this is a story, my assumption is some of you in here are not Christians. You're kind of maybe checking things out. Um, this story, Jesus brought up a lot, um, a lot of the New Testament writers would refer back to it. It's kind of the big overarching story foreshadowing what Jesus would do for us. And it's called the Exodus. And it really begins where God's people had sinned. And so they're stuck in bondage in Egypt. The Pharaoh is over them. And they're, you know, they're getting food and they're able to exist, but they're not able to be really themselves. They're not really connected that well with God. They feel out of sorts. And God then begins to do a deliverance for them. And so uh, many of us know it's called the Passover. And the story was that, that God said, um, I'm going to send a death angel who's going to basically get rid of the evil around you. It's going to be the delivering agent. It's really referencing uh, Satan's influence in the world and over us. And he's like, I'm going to finally remove that. But I need you guys to take an unblemished lamb and rub the blood over your doorpost. And then as the angel comes over, he will pass over you. And you will be delivered. And so God's people did that. And they all met up. And they were all delivered. But it was a fight. Pharaoh was on their back ends trying to take him out. And you guys have seen the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston, right? Happened just like that. Okay? <laughs> God closed up the waters over the Egyptian army. And now the deliverance. You know, that's why we always talk about when Jesus is on the cross. His blood is applied to our sins. So we now get to experience the same Passover. God doesn't hold our sin against us anymore. And so deliverance is a key part of why we come to church. We thank him for what he did in delivering, but there's more to the story. After deliverance comes a new life. 
in a new land. And so God's now has his people, they're walking through a wilderness, kind of a desert, and it's tough. He's feeding them day by day with, you know, little things called manna, not real exciting, but it would sustain them. And, uh, but they're getting close to the promised land. This land that they heard would be flowing with milk and honey. It would now be a whole new world that would be opened up for them, just like it is supposed to open up for us even after we give our lives to Jesus. And so where we're at in the story, they are just about into this land. Uh, Moses then sends out some spies, 12 men. He says, I need you to head in, go about 40 days, and I want to make sure we're in the right spot. So I need you to bring back examples of like what the food is. We've heard milk and honey. I need to see some of it. And Moses was smart enough to know they're probably going to have to fight some tribes to take the land. So I want to know about the tribes. You know, what are we up against? And so right now, you can imagine the spies are being sent out. They're gone. The people, we think half a million to a million Israelites are waiting. They're anticipating like we're about to go in, but man, we can't wait to hear from the spies. So let's read um, how this begins to go down. And so number says, we went into the land to which you sent us. And indeed, it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. And what they did, some guys on poles on their shoulders brought in these massive chunks of grapes. And everybody was going, nice. In the Halter family, we would call that experience time for the happy dance. I've taught our kids, whenever like, something really awesome goes on, it doesn't matter. You can be in a public square, just take all of the excitement that you're feeling and just kind of do a little happy dance. We just kind of like, looks like a little chipmunk thing, you know? If I'm next to my daughter, we might, you know, if we're celebrating something that's happened in her life, we might do a little, hmm, hmm. You know, nobody else would really notice unless they're really watching, but the happy dance is a big deal. So right now, a million people are doing the freaking happy dance, okay? There are grapes. The stuff that we've heard is actually here. And then the wheels come off. See that word? But. That word has probably stopped more people from doing really great things for God than any word, not even the word, just the thought. You ever get thoughts where you go, I really feel like like we should do this, babe, or you get a thought in your heart, I want to help out with this, I want to dive into that. That person somehow has captured my heart, I would sure love to do something for that. And then, but maybe you share the vision with your friend. Your friend says something or your in-law says something. It's more of the butts. And the butts start to really kind of weigh on you a lot. I'm not going to make a joke about the word, but I mean, it's in the Bible. But that word, how many of you have experienced a few of those? Yep, there's butts all around, aren't there? And it gets worse. So let's just read on. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Uh, Remember Goliath? Goliath was known to be a descendant of Anak. So these are big people. This is like Caleb and Joshua giving the report. Everybody's excited. Hey, we've got good news and we've got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? Well, we've been out here wandering around for a while. Give us some good news first. So then they see the grapes. Everybody's celebrating and so you were saying there's also bad news. What's, I mean, what could it be? There's some really big people in there. Well, like, what are we talking about here? They're about a foot to a foot and a half taller than us. Um, 
six, eight, seven, eight, so I mean, big, running probably about 350 to 450, and they're fast. They, they chased us a few times. They're running about a 4140. And you should see their wives. Real sturdy. All of them. Well, how, I mean, how many? Like, there's a lot of us. How many people look like that? Well, what would you say, Caleb? Yeah, pretty much everybody looks like that. And so, all of a sudden, this great vision, this anticipation of a new life gets stifled by some present reality, something that they just see. And so, let's keep reading. So then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, and he has to silence them, obviously, because they're now starting to go berserk. They're not happy anymore. Now they're actually clamoring negativity. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. It's like somehow life is this kind of in-between world between grapes and giants between people that don't have much faith and occasionally you have somebody that goes, no, we can do this. I've experienced this so many times. Whenever God's given kind of like a unique call, I've experienced this tension between grapes and giants. When we moved to Alton, the the move to Alton was really because um, of meeting a young waitress in in a little Italian bar. And we had been visiting our son. Our son grew up with really severe epilepsy. So um, up until about four years ago, he basically just lived with us and just had a lot of seizures all day long. So our life was kind of bound into his disability. We found this assisted living center for him out in uh, Alton, Illinois. So the last four years, we've just been out visiting him. And we, we noticed something about this town. Every time we would go there to see him, we would talk mostly about Alton. It was like, uh, it's about 30,000 people just across the Mississippi from Ferguson, about seven minutes from Ferguson area. And about 40% African-American, the rest white, very poor, very racially divided, as you can imagine. Um, It just seemed like a lot of people were hurting. And we kind of grew up in that environment. And every time we go there, we go, man, there's something about this town. Although we never thought we would live there until we talked to this young waitress. And the conversation captivated our hearts. And walking out, Cheryl just said, babe, let's just sell the ranch and let's move here and see if we can help. And, uh, and we got in a big fight, the first fight we'd had in 15 years, right on the sidewalk. And she's like, babe, I really think Jesus wants us to come. I was like, well, that's not what my Jesus is telling me. So <laughs> it's the difference between grapes and giants, right? I mean, we all have our own little Jesus, and usually our Jesus agrees with us, right? Well, eventually we, we did, and we moved in just about three months ago, and, uh, my oldest daughter, who just got married, her son-in-law, they, they wanted to go with us. And then my youngest, obviously, when she graduates, will join us. But we bought my oldest daughter a little crack house for $12,000 right, right on the corner of bad and worse. And Because uh, that was their heart. They're like, Dad, put us in the worst. So we bought this little place, and it was a notorious crack house. We renovated it. And a lot of people came over and thanked us just for doing that. And so, like, I was seeing grapes. I was like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to actually have an impact on this town. But then the giant starts to show up. Uh, in one month, um, I had to break up three physical altercations between, like, grown men. My daughter was in a gas station one time. She had a, a, a whole gang fight broke out while she was pumping gas. And, you know, you just start... Th- Giants start to show up, and you start to go, 
like maybe we read this wrong. Like maybe the, maybe we can't actually make a difference in this town. I was renovating my second daughter's home that we bought because everything's so cheap there because nobody wants to live there. And this guy named Mike comes in. He's the neighbor. He just comes in, walks in while McKenna and I are working on her floor. And he's a weird-looking guy. One eyeball whirls around like this. Like he just, he's scary-looking dude. He's big and he just kind of walked in. I remember thinking, like, if I had not been there, if McKenna was just by herself, like, it would have really been, I mean, it's, it's just a hard place. And uh, that's the world that we live in. Grapes, giants, you got your options. You get visions and dreams, and at times your heart explodes for people and things that God's doing, and then you just shrivel up because of the butts. And so let's go to the next slide Here's an option then. Well, it actually gets worse. Just, just so you know, this will happen. Like you get a little minor thing. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And then they spread among the Israelites a different report than the original report, a bad report about the land that they had explored. How many of you have ever had kind of a cool idea and you just share it with a friend and then they just phew, trash can it? Put the lid right on it. Let's keep reading. It gets worse. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. This is when your negativity and your, your cynicism, your apathy turns to darkness. And you literally go, it'd just be better that we just died than actually go out fighting. And yet so many people that I find, even those that believe in Jesus, the ones that believe in Jesus but they don't believe in what Jesus said, that oftentimes they'll go to this space and then they make, I think, a really bad move. Let's read the next one. Then they said, we should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Let's just go back to our bondage. Let's go back to, you know, at least we weren't like having to fight people. At least we had food. We didn't have to do this manna walking around the wilderness. It's what we call apathy. Apathy is just another form of fear. You guys know that? Apathy, as we say, always sides with the oppressors. Even by doing nothing, you literally are proving that you don't believe that God can actually change something. And so here's your options. Here's how you deal with that apathy. You take on the way of Caleb, Joshua, and here's what they did. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of whatever that... Okay, that's his last name, Johnson. <laughs> who were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes. So right there in the midst of all these people whining, complaining, just let us go back and whatever, we'll die there. He tears his clothes and it was a sign, it's an anger, it's a rage against the apathy. Have you guys seen a picture of Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel lately? It's a young man that had the whole world before him. Can't figure out how to get out of the bondage of just partying and women and drugs and whatever. And the last pictures I saw of Johnny was just as a shriveled up, emaciated man. It doesn't even look like what he used to look like. That's what fear does to you. It's what apathy does to you. When you really don't think God will show up and then you just sit by and you let the world go to the dark side. It's no different. I think... What these two men did, they just tore their clothes to go, you guys are seriously going to underachieve this much? 
You have all this right at your fingertips. You have the power of God, and yet you're going to go, you want to go back to that stuff? No matter what world we live in or what things are capturing our heart right now, I hope that you can begin to see that we cannot let our suburban safety net, this idea of just trying to keep our kids safe and secure, we cannot let that override, substitute, minimize the fact that God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation and the kingdom of God has been poured into each one of us. We cannot let that happen. We don't have to let that happen. Every one of us has God-given dreams and visions. They're God-given. And so if you sit here right now and you go, I get it, halter, but honestly, I've always responded more to the buts. I do fear. How do I become courageous? Let me give you a couple things that may just help. Number one, consider remembering what God has already done. When I was struggling after Cheryl and I had that experience and she said, let's move, we flew back home to Denver. I actually thought her emotions would subside and we could get back to normal life, which was a little bit easier. And uh, one morning um, I heard her shut her Bible because she was actually spending time with the Lord. I was just making up my own Jesus. And uh, she says, can we keep talking about Alton? And we got in another, it, was, it wasn't really a fight, it was just, it was tense. And she's like, what is the problem? And uh, I just said, babe, I just like, I just don't know if it will work. And she goes, you remember when we came to Denver and we didn't know anybody and we didn't, you didn't have a job, I didn't have a job, Ryan was still having 20 seizures. Like, do you remember what God did? And the story of the best 15 years we've ever had in the church that God started and the way that we articulate it in a book and how people read the book all over the world and now you get to, you get to go speak all over the world to people about Jesus differently. Like, do you remember what God did? Do you, and she goes, do you not think that he would do that again? I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, isn't that amazing how much God can show up and yet we'll chalk it up to, oh, I guess we got lucky. I guess it was just coincidence well, if you're going to be a courageous person, you're going to have to take a mental and heart profile of what God has done in your, your life to this point and go, oh, he probably won't stop. You know that God actually can't stop leading you into, as he calls it, triumphal procession? His nature forbids him from just trying to wreck your life. He always will have your best interest in mind, even if you keep screwing it up. At the moment you turn back to God and you go, God, I'm back in, he will always begin to lead you to a better place. So you have nothing to fear. But remember what God has done. Secondly, focus on God's promises. What these guys do is that they go, hey, God didn't say it was the potential land or the possible land. It's now, it's, what do you call it? It's a promised land. Read this promise out of Ephesians. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. One thing I used to always try to tell McKenna when she would freak out back in the day as she was growing up, she tended to be more anxious like I grew up. And I'd say, babe, do you trust Jesus for after you die? She'd always, she was sure about that. 
And say, babe, if you don't fear dying, you don't ever have to fear living either. Like if you don't fear death, you don't have to fear living a bigger life. You actually, that means that because you get all these promises given to you, it will work out in the end for you. You can take some more risks down here. You can live above the normal apathy that most of us resign ourselves to. You're safe, but you must remember it's a promise. It's not a possibility. Third, as you approach this promises, obey, just simply obey. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servants Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or to the left of it. You may be successful wherever you go. It just means at some point you've got to make a move. For us, we did. We had to move a few states over. We had to sell everything. For most of us, though, it's just a move towards whatever God has put on your heart. And it literally could just be one person that you just keep feeling like God's going, I need you to move towards this person. The other day I was driving down streets of Alton, and I was praying about the city. I was praying about the racial issue. And I just drove by a home right around the block, and there was an African-American woman sitting on the porch. And as soon as I saw her, I just, like, I, I knew God was going to do something, knucklehead. And uh, I initially went, but, oh, but I don't know exactly what to say. She's a stranger, but uh, probably won't work out. She may not even, she'll be freaked out. I mean, also, but I, I did. I finally, no, stop that. And I pulled over. I just walked up. I said, hi, ma'am. My name's Hugh Halter. And uh, I just, my wife and I, Cheryl, we just bought a house around the corner from you. And I noticed that you're black. And uh, she, yeah. And uh, I said, and I'm, I'm white. That's yeah, clear. And uh, I said, I don't know if you've noticed, there's been a lot of tension in our city and around the country between uh, people of different colors. And I said, I don't know about you, but I, I've just been hoping that something could be different. I don't know exactly what to do, but I did see you sitting here, and I thought maybe just to have dinner would be a good start. At least maybe I could hear your story. And I said, would you be willing to come over and bring anybody you like? And she's, she just smiles. She goes, I think that would be a great thing to do. So we're going to have dinner in a few days. But sometimes you just got to move. You got to obey. When you get an idea, stop overthinking it and just go, in the next eight hours, let's do something about this. And then finally, remember, no matter what you do, Remember God's presence is always with you. Okay, remember God's presence. I have found in my life, I probably make the right decision 50% of the time. That means 50% of my ideas, probably God would be going, eh. But I've actually found that when you move out in faith and in God's name and with passion for people, if you're even making the wrong decision, God loves that stuff. And he will always be with you. You are safe He's given you all the promises. He's always going to be with you. Guys, you are a part of a church network that is led by Joshua's and Caleb's. You guys know that, right? You probably get pestered by them because men like Dave and John, women like Pat, I mean, your whole team always believes that you can take more land. Most churches aren't, they don't have those types of leaders. You guys should be really thankful but imagine if we all got in step and everybody in community would tear their clothes off. Imagine the video we could send to Dave right now. He's in Norway. 
Look what happened at community today. We all got really mad at getting so fearful about the same dumb stuff, and we together decided that we would actually act and obey and trust, be thankful for God's presence. Can you imagine what would happen? And so I pray. I pray over you. You're probably, most of you are probably better than me at this, but I, I pray over you as I pray over myself that all the plans and dreams that God has for the halters would not fall short, that we would not short sheet our own calling, that for whatever years we have left, and we've wasted a lot, a lot of them in fear, that we would not live by fear anymore. I pray that you would not live by fear. Some of you are afraid to give your lives to Jesus. You should be. <laughs> Because you can tell now, when you give your life to Jesus, he doesn't just deliver you, he gives you a new life. But I hope that you see that you don't actually have to really fear that. Some of you are afraid, you actually believe in Jesus, but you're afraid to re-enter his mission. You like to keep that at arm's length because you just don't want to jump into that stuff again. Some of you need to stop fearing God's mission. It'll be a big day when we all do that. So I pray that you would just respond to the Lord. Just respond. In Jesus' name, amen.